Good morning, Sterling. I'll try that again. Good morning, Sterling. Am I on? Can you hear me? Oh, man, this is lacquer. I have, uh, I was away last week in, at Ganubi Baptist, uh, just uh, trying to mobilize some Ganubians to get involved in the NCOs doing some work out there in the community outreach, and, and I missed this. And so this is my first time seeing your faces like this, maskless, but also in this old setting, all the seats together, it's wonderful. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the Song of Solomon? The Song of Solomon, we're going to be continuing our journey through that book. Thanks, Mark. Um, and uh, we are uh, going to be in chapter 7, verses 11 to 13. Chapter 7, verses 11 to 13. So if you wouldn't mind turning there. And while you do that, let me pray for us. Lord, we come before you this morning anticipating you to speak. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge today that you are not only our Savior, but you are the King, the General of the Army, and uh, we, your humble people, have somehow been called your soldiers as well. And so today, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your instruction. And uh, Lord, we ask that as we do this, that you would be with us through the, through the presence of your spirits. Would you walk among us, we pray, and uh, move us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, Verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. The bride is speaking to her groom. She says the following. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early into the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes will give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. For those of you who might be joining us for the first time today for the baby dedication on a holiday, we journeyed through uh, the book of Mark for a number of uh, months, and uh, we realized the beauty of Mark was that we'd got to know who this Jesus was. We got to know what he did. We got to know uh, the work that he did. We got to know uh, a bunch of things about him. But we realized as well, we didn't want to be a people that just knew about Jesus, but rather we wanted to know him personally. And so we started this series called Created for Closeness because we wanted to have in our church a heart that was stirred for affection toward Jesus, to love him, but also to know how to love him practically and to know how to do so well, to experience his love for us. But how can we, as simple, humble people, who, as we sung today and spoke about today, have, are full of sin, yet replicate or love him back? And so we have been going through the Song of Songs, but so we wanted to make sure that we didn't just have a head knowledge, but a heart that was captivated for this wonderful Jesus. But I want to say this morning, at the end of the Song of Songs, I want to add to this. Uh, that we need not only have our heads full of the knowledge of who Jesus is, but we also need to have our hearts that are captivated for him. But more than that, this love that is captivated, our hearts that are captivated for Jesus, that love needs to flow into our hands and our feet. This love cannot just stay within us, but it needs to mobilize us forward. And, and so this love needs to mobilize. And we see this with this, group, uh, this bride, 
She acts with reference to her, her, her groom. She, she is for him, and she goes out into the field, and it's for his sake of the, his, the company to enjoy him and to have a quiet love with him that she wants to lodge out in the villages with him. It's the, all the fruit that she is going to glean from the fields and the vineyards she has put aside for him. She has gathered and stored it up for him. Love for Jesus is most powerful when it motivates us forward, when it captivates us to such a degree that we can't help but be on mission with him. And we see this in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, this wonderful verse, Paul speaking here, says, for the love of Christ controls us, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who, might, who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, were their sake died and was raised. This love that we have received drives us forward in mission as we love this Jesus. Do you see that this morning? See, let me read it again. Let's see what Paul has to say here. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, that being Jesus, has died for all, that, are, that it's you this morning that's sitting in this room. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those, and he has the purpose of his death. Let's read, he has the purpose, he has part of the purpose of his death, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. And I hope you get this this morning. It was struck me afresh again as I was, as I was preparing for the sermon, that part of the purpose, the part of the primary purpose that Jesus died for you was to bring you on mission with him, church. He did not only die for you so that he might save you from the pit of hell. He did not only die for you so that you might have a relationship with him that is personal, but he also died for you so that you might be on mission with him. He has a work for you to do. And we see that in, in Titus 2 verses 13 and 14, uh, there's a wonderful section of scripture. It says this, it says, we're waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, and here it is, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Part of the, the work of Jesus is not that, he, that he, would, he would restore us to himself, but the people that he restores, that they might be a people who are zealous for good works. And we see this in another passage in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, that famous passage that says this. So 8 and 10, 8 to 10, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And maybe I just pause there again, what we're talking about this morning is not a salvation that comes through your efforts. This work that we are talking about doesn't restore you to Jesus. You have been restored through a faith that he has given you. And now that you have been restored, now that you have been saved by this gift, you have been given to something. As we see in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship. We are his workers. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What have you been created in? For what? In Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. It's the most remarkable thing if you grasp this, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who holds all creation together, the God who controls all things, sustains all things, and made all things, is also the God who calls you to be on mission with him. He doesn't need it. He doesn't have to have it. He spoke and creation came into being. And this same God says, come and be on mission for me. And I, I hope that you get this, that this love of Jesus and that needs not only to be grasped in your head, it must not only stir up affections in your heart for him, but the same love needs to start to move in your hands and your feet. That you need to be on mission for. This love controls us. It compels our hands and our feet. It controls our lives so that we, that we have been saved into a glorious, eternal purpose. You have a work to do that is far greater than anything else this, work has to, this world has to offer. And it is a work with Jesus. And but before we get into the type of work that we are asked to do, I want to I show you something that uh, this, this lady does. Is she ensures this morning as she gets up that her groom comes with her. She will not go do this work without him. She, she says to him, come my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early into the vineyards. She makes sure before she goes and does this work that he, she needs to do for him, that she does it with him, that he will come along with her. And there's some biblical principles and some lessons that we can learn from this. And the, and the first is that strength comes from Jesus. Strength comes from Jesus. There's a biblical principle that we've got to realize that when we are weak and we cling to Jesus and we depend on him for his grace, that we are made strong. That when we hold on to Christ, that Jesus' power is made perfected in us, in our weakness. We see this in a passage in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. It says this here, but he, talking about Jesus, Jesus says to me, Paul, Jesus says to Paul this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul concludes this. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. Why can he be content in those things? Listen to what he says here. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. She will not go anywhere without him because she realizes her strength is with the king being next to her. And in the same way with us, we've got to realize that we are called to do a work. We are called to do life. This is, a, this is a, not only a mission uh, principle, but a life principle. That if we are going to be able to handle this world that is dark and terrible as we know it is, that we cannot do it in our own strength, but what we need is we need the groom to be with us. We need him to come along. It is through him that we find strength. And now, I know that there are some of us that like to do it on our own. We have that stubborn personality that, oh, I will solve it. I will make a plan. I'm tough enough to do it. But my friends, I want to say that if you depend on your own strength to do it, then you are weak in comparison to the strength you gain in Christ's. But what she finds here 
She finds her strength in this groom, in this king. And friends, we cannot do the work properly without Jesus. We need him in order to do it. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who gives us strength. It's when he is with us do we find wisdom. It is when he's with us that we find endurance to be able to persevere. If he is not with us, we'd stumble and we will fail. And this is a change of mindset for us as well, is to realize that the work that we are called to do is not only for Christ, but we are called to do a work with him. It's not only for him, it is also to be done with him. As a Christian, we are not only to live for Jesus, we are to live with Jesus. It changes our mindset completely. And we see that she definitely does the work for him. All the fruit is being gathered for him, but she wants to make sure that he comes along. And, and, and may I say that this is not the type of omnipresence of God that he is always with us. That's what I'm not talking about here. God is always with you, church. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not abandon you. He is with you. We, we know that those truths are, are, are in Scripture. But for us, what I'm talking about here is a, a conscious dependency upon Jesus as we live life and as we do the work that he has called us to do. It's an intentional thought upon him that I am doing this with him. She does not just assume the groom will be with, him, with her as she goes out into the fields. She asks, come, I'm going to do this and this, be with me, come along. And I've got to ask us the question, and how often do we just assume that we have the power of Christ resting upon us each day? Because he's always with us, so I just assume he's with me, but we have not asked for him to come along. We have not asked for him to be intervened, to, to be a part of. Yes, he is, he is with you, but are you depending on him? Are you clinging on him? Are you asking him to intervene in the situation? Or have you just assumed so? So how do we know if whether or not we are doing ministry and life by ourselves or in our own strength rather than in the strength of Christ? And I thought about this this week, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I'm going to say almost always. I'm pretty convinced it's always, but I, I'm scared I might have forgotten the situation. But 99.9% .9 of the time, we are consciously dependent on Jesus when we have prayed. Prayer is an essential part of being dependent on Christ. If you have not prayed, the chances are you are acting in some capacity in your own strength, your own wisdom, and your own, you have mustered it up yourself. Prayer, nearly if not always, is involved in some way. And it, it, so let's use an example for those of you who are involved in ministry. So let's use the hospitality ministry. If you're involved in the hospitality ministry, this looks like being intentionally praying before the ministry before you arrive. It's asking God to give you the eyes to see somebody new who, who might have walked through the building for the very first time that you don't necessarily know and give you the courage and the strength to be able to go and say hello and make them feel welcome. It's, it's praying for the fellowship time under the tent, asking God to, to be a part of that, asking him to come along and, and let there be encouragement and unity and, and love that flows a, a, among it. It, it is, it's praying intentionally for those things, not just rocking up. Or for those of you who might be involved in the children's ministry, it's intentionally praying for the children you're going to be serving. Asking God to give your eyes to see the, the, the children that are out on by themselves who just need someone to come along and, and love on them that day. 
to ask God to help you build proper relationships with them or, or to lead the teaching moment in such a way that those little hearts and those little brains might grasp these big truths about God, that salvation might take place. We don't just assume that those things are going to happen, but we come to him and say, Lord, I need you for this. Man, if this is going to happen today, we need you here. Would you be with me? Would you come along? And the same can be said as you walk into business meetings, and you, as your parents at home, as, as you go out and you hang out with friends, that you're going, Lord, I don't want to do this by myself today. I need you with me. And so we pray intentionally. That is where we are more conscious and more aware that we need him when we have asked for his help. And, and, there, and there are moments, I might just add, where we haven't had time to, to pray beforehand. Someone rocks up at your door, a friend all of a sudden is there, and a tragedy has struck, and you have to counsel them and comfort them, and you don't know the words to say, and all you can muster at that moment as you're speaking is, help, Lord, help. Give me the words. Lord, help me to encourage. May I do it. But every moment, prayer is involved as we are like, Lord, I need you. Come along with me. Be a part of that. The electricity is now on. <laughs> but it is prayer always precedes it. And friends, are you praying? Because if you're not, it's more likely you're doing it in your own strength. Pray more. Ask him for help. And, the, and, and what I love about this, and I'm stealing a little bit from my future point, is do you notice that she doesn't have to beg him? She doesn't have to say, come, man, stop sleeping in. Stop dealing with your kingdom stuff. Stop dealing with the big mess of this and that that might be happening between your kingdom and another kingdom. No, no. She just asks and he goes. It's part of his heart. He wants to do life with us. He wants to be on. We don't have to force his hand in these things. This is his heart. She's just simply asking him to do something he loves, and he's like, amen, let's go. The next thing I, I, I want us to find here is, is this, this lady has, has found the balance of life with Jesus. She has, as we've seen throughout this book, known how to make quiet moments with him. She has run off under the trees. She has spent some time with her groom. She has, she has been there with no distractions. She has focused on that. But she also realizes that there's work to be done, but she knows she doesn't want to do it by herself. And the principle that I want to apply us today is that we must not see doing work for Jesus as simply something that is practical and dutiful, but rather it is an opportunity to grow in our relationship with him opportunity to do life with him. And I say that because there is this danger that we fall into that we prioritize only quiet moments with Christ but not see mission for Jesus as an opportunity to grow in our relationship with him. Does that make sense? And she has found the wonderful balance of both, of going with him and uh, to spend quiet moments with him. She prioritizes that, but she also knows she needs to do work with him as well. And I, and I say that because in my, my short experience as a Christian, I've been, I've been saved for 18 years, and, but, but in ministry particularly, is that I've noticed that people land in one camp or the other. That this balance is it's easier spoken about than actually done. That we tend to either be people who are great with the closet time, 
We're great in being uh, people who are able to find those quiet moments with Jesus, but actually serving and getting involved and, and being on mission with Christ, we neglect. Or the opposite is true as well. I've seen many who put their hand to the wheel, they ground it out, they're on mission, but they neglect the quiet moments. And, and I want to encourage you that you must not see as one more important than the other, but rather both function well together. A well-rounded relationship with Christ comes not in one or the other, comes in both. To love him quietly in those moments, but also to do life together. And you know that with your relationships, it is is. You can have coffee all the time, those quiet moments, but actually real relationship is also built doing life together, not just around a coffee table. And the same is with Christ. You need to pursue after him in both areas. So what is the work that we are called to do? Well, the first I wanna, I wanna say here is that we see that she goes out into the vineyards and she goes out into the fields. And traditionally, what would happen is that the vineyards were generally closer to the palace or closer to, to the houses of where people stayed and the fields, well, they were further out. And so she seems to do a work more closer to home and then a work further away. There, there are two uh, aspects to this. And so let's start off at the vineyards. Let's start off at a, a work at home. Um, the call of every church around the globe for the last two and a half years has pretty much been this, and I'm sure you've heard it from this pulpit now, I know you've heard it from this pulpit, is don't stay away from church. The call has been don't neglect the gathering of the saints, and we have prized that as a church. Even when we were down to only 50, we were allowed to gather legally. We were put in four services hoping to make sure that people would be able to get to church. But I, I want to say that I think the narrative needs to change. The narrative is not so much talking to that camera and asking those who are watching online to stay away. It seems like that won't be lasting for very long anyway, but to come here. But I think the narrative needs to be coming to church, church is great, but there's more for you to do. There's a work to be done. There's a mission to get involved in. And the first place that she starts and the first place that she comes is closer to home, and I want to say that here at this church, there's a work for you to do. Do you call SBC your home? If someone walks up to you randomly or a friend, hey, man, what church do you go to? And you say Sterling Baptist Church, then this is your home. If this is your home, whether you're a member on paper or not, I want to say there's a work for you to do here. God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom has placed you here so that you might be involved with him so that you might be on mission with him, so that you might know him better here at this church by serving. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has uniquely gifted you, has intentionally gifted you with spiritual gifts that are needed for this body. God in his sovereignty has decided to give you spiritual gifts, at least one. In my experiences, people always have more than one. But you have at least one to get involved in to use for the glorification of Christ and for the equipping of this body. And may I say, it wasn't a lucky packet draw. God didn't just randomly scatter like a seed throughout and you just randomly got what you want. But God knew exactly your personality. He knew where you would be, this plan that he had before the foundations of the world. And this gift was given uniquely to you so that you might be able to work with him. He has not left you unequipped. He hasn't asked you to be a part of something that he has not equipped you for, but he has equipped you for this moment. 
And I don't want to speak too much about spiritual gifts. We'll be speaking about that in months to come. But, but I want to say that this morning, you are sovereignly placed here by the grace of God to serve Him and know Him better. Please get involved. Please work. Not for my sake, not, for the ch- uh, not so much uh, so that it might look good at how busy you are, but for your sake and your relationship with Jesus and the relationship of others as they are blessed through your serving. But I also know that many will put up their hand this morning and say, Joe, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, and so therefore we sit back and we don't do anything until we figure it out. But I want to say to you and encourage you this morning that even if you don't know where your spiritual gift is and what it is, while we as a church want you to function in that gifting and fly in that gifting, may I ask you to be faithful to the call to serve even if you don't know what it is. I prefer you to serve out of your gifting than not serve at all. Be faithful to this call. And, and in actual, in my experiences, and I know this is my own personal experience, I found my gifting through participating and through trying out things rather than putting down a spiritual gift test and trying to come to what a piece of paper has told me. Gifting comes through experience. Please get involved. There are many areas for you to serve. We, I know Mark was telling the staff this week, we still need eight people in hospitality. Children's ministry need children to be able to build relationships with. You don't have to have a teaching gift. You just need to be able to be nice. Are you a nice person? Man, the Holy Spirit will do work in you, I promise. And kids just need someone to love. And they think anyone older than the age of like 10 is the coolest person in the world. They will think you're cool. And they just want someone to build a relationship with them, point to Jesus. And, and what a blessing for our children to see older men and women just love Jesus well. You can get it stuck in there. Our prayer teams need more people to pray. NCO needs more soup made. It needs more servers. It needs more pack, packers. We need more small groups and, and people to host small groups. Our teens need older men and women to come along and disciple them. We need, when they, they need, man, our teens are growing up in a society that is so different to what we grew up in. And they need older men and women who would just help them process that and point them to Jesus. Young adults, I particularly want to call it, teens think young adults are cool. Can you get involved there? Can you do it? Man, our worship team needs more people. We need people to serve. And some of you can play instruments well. Come along, get involved. These things don't, I mean, and there's, and there's many more to do, but please just do something. Again, not for my sake, but for yours and for the church's. But I want to say that there's more to this than simply just getting involved in in. in in a structured ministry, that being a part of the work of Jesus also includes moments when we gather like this where spiritual gifts get to function. But what I'm talking about here this morning is that we need to make sure that we aren't just a church that preaches the gospel, but functions the gospel out. And what I mean by that is this, we can rightly hold to uh, justification by faith. We can rightly hold to the grace of Jesus Christ. We can rightly hold to forgiveness is only found in Jesus. But the danger is we can speak about grace but never actually extend grace to one another. The danger is that we can speak about how God can redeem and forgive and yet we expect perfect people in this building and we, we, we want a certain standard rather than just loving each other in our brokenness. And, and, and I say that because it's, it's, it's important that as we gather together that we get to minister to one another. 
that we get to be a people that are able to extend grace to those in need. And that's what I love the prayer meeting this morning, the prayer in the fronts, is that we aren't perfect people. Our lives aren't all got to, we haven't got everything together. And that yet we are able to come up and get prayer. And, and my hope is as we do life together that we are able to minister to one another that we don't have to put up this facade and pretend that we are the perfect picket fence type people, that we in our brokenness can share that with one another. This is ultimately where the gospel needs to lead. May it never be said about our church that we are too perfect and that we, are too, we don't allow broken people in here. But the ministry and the work at home is that we get to love one another in their brokenness. So someone who's found out they've got terminal illness is able to come and share that freely and the community comes and loves on them and prays for them and is with them and helps them in that. And when someone loses a loved one, the community comes around and is able to be of comfort. When, when someone has been fired at work and they are, because they have done something wrong, yet we don't cast them out and say, cho-cho. We bring them in, we love them, we are there for them. We don't have to have our lives perfect here. We're doing a work here means we love each other well. Church, you can find community anywhere. You can find it in a book club at a running, running club. The difference between those communities and this one is that we love like Jesus loved. As we do work with Jesus, as we meet here with Jesus, let us love like Jesus would to all the broken people in the room. And, and while that sounds great, and I hope it does to you, while that sounds great, may I say that the way this happens is through vulnerability and transparency, and that only happens if you would do it. It starts with you. And so when the elder calls for prayer, don't sit there with your marriage falling apart, too prideful to come forward. We are not going to shame you or mock you. We just want you to be loved. Or you're struggling with, in your marriage, or, or your kids are, are wayward, and you're worried about, come and get prayer. Share it with someone in, your, in the teams that you serve in. Share in your small groups. Let us as a community love one another. This is where real work happens. It happens at home. Pastor one another. Love each other. I've, we've still got communion, so I'm, I'm running low on time here. But may, but may I just say, man, love well. This is where he, he, wants you, he wants you to do. He wants you to love well there. And, you, and it starts with you. But not only does she do a work at home, she does a work afar. The, the, the fields are far away. Do you notice that she says, let's go to the fields and lodge in the villages? I mean, it's, they have to travel and it looks like they're going to have to stay. The fields they're going to aren't close at home. And, and, and Sterling, I want to say to you that the work that we are called to do is not only between these four walls or on this property. The work that we are called to do is outside these walls, we are to go afar. Being a Christian this morning, the very nature of being a Christian means that we are on mission with Jesus, not only among one another, but we are people who go out to the world. We go out to the city. Man, we have prayed this morning for the brokenness of our country, a brokenness of our city, and we'll pray more for that. But church, may I say that the salvation of this country does not come in a better government. The salvation of this country, this country comes through Jesus Christ and the gospel. Yes, a better government will help, and we will pray for them. But may I say the change of this nation does not happen through institutions made by man, but the institution orchestrated by God and organized by God, and that's the church. 
And that comes through sharing the gospel and that comes through doing social justice ministry. That's how the nation will be changed. This country will get better through the church. And, and the very nature of a Christian is to be on mission with Jesus. We see this in Mark 1 verse 17. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To follow Christ means to become a fisher of men, to share the gospel, to tell others about this wonderful Jesus. Again, Jesus says so in his famous words, you would have heard it before, and maybe it's apt with all the load shedding. In Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Church, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give what? Glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice this is who you are. You are the light of the world. You don't have to become a church. Christian this morning, this is not something that you have to figure out. You already are the light of the world because you have the light, capital, the light within you, Jesus. So stop hiding it and start shining it. It's, this, maybe this, this image works well for us because of load shedding, but if you go and light a candle and put a basket on it when it's low, how much does it help? But open it up, says Jesus. Let the world shine, and you might say to me, but, but I don't have a big light. What can I do? How much? But it, when it's pitch black and you put on that one candle, it makes a world of a difference. It's noticeable. It stands out. The dark world will see it. Your little light has an impact. It has an impact. So shine it. Shine the Jesus within you. Charles Spurgeon, I love this. I read this this, this week. I've actually put it on in our house at the moment, it, it, it says this, uh, Charles Spurgeon says, so dark is the world, and we can all admit it is, so dark is the world, we cannot afford to lose a glowworm spark. I love that. A glowworm spark. Be a glowworm. If that's all you can muster up, we cannot afford to lose it. Let's be a glowworm for Jesus. And, but I want you to notice here that we aren't called to be the light of the world by ourselves. The word you there is plural. If we were in the South, we'd say y'all. Y'all are a lot of the world. <laughs> New York, yous. You are light of the world, church. You together. One lamp in a house bright, can only shine so brightly. But when each and every single individual household here at Sterling starts to shine its light, no matter how bright it might be, maybe if it's just a small light, but when we add those lights together, we become a city. We become a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden for the glory of Christ. We need each and every single one of us to shine our lights brightly. That's where the change will come. It's not so much on the amount of talent we have in the room. It's not dependent so much on how, even how big it is, but how faithful will we be to shining our lights. And that is how we will reach our city and the nations. And I want you to think that way. I, I want you to think that way this morning. We are called to something so far bigger than just simply reaching our neighborhood. I know our mission state, statement is fully uh, uh, um, in the city of East London with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. I know that's our mission statement. But church, we are, we are called to do something even bigger than that. And maybe that's a bold thing to say today. 
But look at Jesus in Matthew 28. He says, firstly, he says, you're the light of the world. But in Matthew 28, that famous commission, and he goes and says in verses 18 and 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And in Acts 1 verse 8, he goes on to say, and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we have that this morning. May we have received power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, yes, we've got to focus on Jerusalem, but may that not be the neglect of the Judeas and the Samarias and to the ends of the earth. As I've been preparing this week, my heart has been for you, church, that we would look to the nations and see that the harvest is ready, but we need laborers. And I've been praying for you that even in this brief, short little point, that within this church this morning, today, there would be something that is stirred within some of you to go to the nations. Not just reach our city and preach to our neighbors. Oh, may we do that fervently, but may we go also to the nations. And not to the nations because there's no light here because of ESCOM. But we will go to the nations because they are dark and they need the light of the gospel. And they need Jesus. May we be a church that doesn't grow in size, that we have to build more buildings or make this bigger. May we be a church that sends where other buildings will be built and other nations will be sent. I pray that we have bigger mindset than just ourselves today. May we go out. May we go out. And again, I want to say two things. You don't, you don't have to force him to do this. He is so keen to go to the fields. He is so ready to go with you. Ask the Lord each day, Lord, go with me today into the fields. Help me to share the gospel, and he will be with you. And, then, and I want also you to notice that this bride gets them both. She doesn't just focus on the in-house. She focuses on the out as well. We can serve here, and I think some of us are very good at being at home, serving at home, but we're not so good at serving out. May we become a church that finds the balance with both. We've got communion this morning. So I'm going to ask if the servers would come forward. And as you hold on to these elements today, preach to yourself the gospel. Remind yourselves of the truth that Christ has died for you, that he has come and he has saved you. And for many, for you this morning, that is going to be an important part. There is some sin you're struggling with, some guilt and some shame. This is the moment that we come to Jesus and we allow him to minister to our hearts through that moment. To remind ourselves that he, as we have sung, his mercies are new every morning. Preach that to yourself. But as we hold on to these elements and we consider a Savior who has died for us, who has gone through so much for us on that cross, we also see him as a king, as a general. Though he has nails, marks in his hands, he's the same God who is pointing us forward and saying, come with me on mission. And may you be stirred as you hold that today, that it was because of somebody else being faithful to the call that you sit here today as a Christian. And may you be someone who is faithful to the call so there might be others who come to know Christ. Let that be stirred in your hearts. Come forward, please um, come and take some of the elements um, and then we'll eat and drink together.
If you are ready, you can eat and drink. Lord Jesus, we are amazed this morning as we partake of these elements and are reminded that you would go to the cross for us, that you would uh, suffer a brutal death and shed your blood and that your body would be broken in order that we might enter your, into your presence and know you. But Lord, we also stand amazed this morning that that same Savior who would go through such to save us when we could not save ourselves is calling us on mission with him, that you would give us life and a purpose. I pray for us as a church this morning that we would be a people filled with your spirit. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Stir within us a deep desire to know 